When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 251, and today we are talking about books being released on March 17th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Tears of hello! Hello, how are you today? I'm okay. I'm all right. You know, I have books and cats, and that's pretty good. How are you today? I'm doing all right. Um, I also have books and, well, one cat um, (laughs) who I discovered this week likes to chew on the edges of books. And so that's been a fun little experiment in keeping, like, how high can I put things out of reach? And he tries to get after them. It's like a game. Fun times. <laughs> oh, he wants to play with you. He does. He's he's very curious about what I'm doing. I'm I, this is actually my partner's cat, and I have not lived with this cat for very long. But he he's very much like, oh, you're gonna sit in this spot, and you're gonna look at something, and you're gonna turn pages every now and then. This is a fun game, and so it's a new experience for me. But <laughs> other than that, it's, it's going all right. Three is the most I've had as an adult. I have three cats now, and there are a lot sometimes. <laughs> My friend has one cat, and she's considering getting a kitten in the in the spring because um, that's like peak kitten time. And her vet said that she thinks her cat will get along better with a kitten than an adult cat. So she's all excited to get a kitten. And I'm like, hey, so one of my cats threw up on the other one today, and then they ran around the house and got it everywhere. Do you still want two cats? And she's like, yes. I'm like, hey, this one just pushed the whole dish strainer off the counter and smashed all the dishes. you still want two? (laughs) She's like, yes. I'm like, okay. All right. So I keep telling her all these stories about – because, like, the the two boys are like a crime syndicate. Like, they work together. Like, the other day they got the – cabinet under the sink open and got into the trash like it has a lock on it but they got it open together as a team so now we have to come up with some other way to keep it closed so infuriating and then they're so cute and you're like oh i forgive you because they're just cats they don't know any better they don't know they're not supposed to do these things no matter how many times you tell them oh yeah it's very it's very difficult because i i like decide that i'm going to be you know, very firm, and we're not going to let the cat do this. And then, like, I'll walk into the bedroom, and he's curled up on my pillow, and I'm like, oh, you're so cute! Yep. <laughs> and, yeah, it all goes out the window. <laughs> yeah. My mother-in-law will come over, and she'll be like, um, is he supposed to be walking across the table? I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We let him drive and smoke and, you know, <laughs> you know, watch R-rated movies. It's fine. So we are going to talk about books now instead of cats, although I could do an entire show about cats. Probably like an entire week's worth of shows about cats. Um, But first, before we talk about books, we're going to hear from our first sponsor. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. 
Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Okay, so I am so excited to talk about this book. I know I say excited a lot. That's my word. I'm excited. This book is so delightful and amazing and... Everyone I know who has read it feels the exact same way. It is The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clune. It's wonderful. So it is about a man named Linus Baxter. He's 40. He's single. Uh, he lives alone with his cat. His neighbor is mean to him. His job is kind of rotten. Um, but he works for the uh, Department in Charge of Magical Youths, or the D-I-C-O-M-Y. Uh, he's worked there for 17 years. And Linus's job is to travel to different orphanages around the country and make sure that the headmasters of these orphanages are taking care of the children, that the children are behaving, that they're, that they're clean, that they're getting enough food, but also that they're not dangerous because they have magical abilities. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like maybe like the Umbrella Academy or maybe a little bit like X-Men. Well, I guess not a school, so not like the X-Men. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, so... This is his job, and he's actually, like, really caring. Linus is a very caring, fair man, but he's very meek, and he gets pushed around a lot, and he's terrified of breaking rules. He has, like, the official rule book of the Magical Youth Department, and it's enormous, and he reads it all the time, and he's always like, that's not the rule, that's not the rule. So, like, he wants people to, you know, get along and get what they deserve, but also he wants everyone to like follow the rules. And so it's his job to report them when they don't. Um, and so this one day he's at work and his very scary boss says, you know, you have been summoned to the top floor and like nobody goes to the top floor. You know, like you see that in like comics and movies and stuff like <gasps> the big, scary upper management floor. He is going to have a meeting with the extremely upper management. That is what they were called. And they ask him a few questions about his job and, like, why haven't you ever applied for, uh, you know, promotion or anything like that? And he's like, I think, you know, I'm very effective where I am and I follow the rules and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, great, you're perfect. You're exactly who we need. And they tell him that there is an orphanage on Marsyas Island that they are sending him to. And he's like, never heard of it. And they're like, that's because it's very secret. No one is allowed to talk about it. That's why we want you for this job, because we think that you will follow the rules and not tell anybody about it. Um, and so on this island is the headmaster, who is Arthur Parnassus, and he has six wards. And so the extremely upper management is worried about what's going on out there, because they think that they're not getting the full story about things that are happening there, and the children out there are much more magical and have very strong abilities compared to the other orphanages around the country. And, like, I'm not going to tell you about the children because I feel like that would be a spoiler. I didn't read anything about them before I read this book, and they're all so wonderful and amazing. Um, and But, like, some of them are dangerous, and one of them is so dangerous that... Uh, when Linus gets to the island, like, he's not allowed to hear about them until he gets there. They're like, don't open this envelope until you arrive on the island. So he opens the envelope, and, like, the first kid that he reads about, like, Linus faints dead away. Because <laughs> he's just like, oh my goodness! But he's like, he, you know, he's like, I'm the man for the job. You know, I'm gonna, like, go see what's going on, and I'm gonna report exactly as it is. And uh, so Linus is, you know, he follows the rules. Well, Arthur Parnassus who is in charge of these children, he is more like a father figure. He cares about them greatly. 
Uh, and he feels like he's the only person that they have, which is basically true. He's the only one that they have. And he would do anything to protect them. He would do anything for them, even when it, it doesn't involve following the rules. You know, like letting them have some free time to run around unsupervised, which is like breaking the rules. But they need their space and they need to get out and do stuff. Um, and, you know, so he doesn't really spoil the children, but, you know, he gives them more space to be themselves because... Uh, like I said, he, they don't really have anyone else. The kids are so adorable. I love them all. I think I have a favorite one who is the one that um, made Linus faint dead away at the beginning. And he kind of torments him, but like in a playful way. And it's very, very, very funny. Um, and the children, they just like ooze charm. And they're also earnest and incredible. Um, and the islanders on where they live... Um, are scared of the kids. They know that, like, they have magical abilities and they're afraid of them, but the department pays them off and tells them, like, not to tell anybody, like, what's going on out there and all the stuff. But they're still, like, very hostile towards the people who live at the orphanage and the people that help out at the orphanage. And, you know, Linus goes out there and he thinks, like, I'm just going to do my job, but he learns to love these kids and he, he really enjoys the company of Arthur And he's trying to decide now, like, what is he going to do? Is he going to be like, these are the things that are wrong. This is what's happening here. Or is he going to protect these children? Because not only do they need him now, but what is going to happen to them when they grow up and go out into the world and they don't have anyone else like them? So it's just so sweet and cute. And oh, it's so good. It's an adult novel. It looks like a YA novel. It has a cartoon cover, and certainly it sounds a bit like, you know, Miss Peregrine or Umbrella Academy, and I would not say, like, you, like, it's definitely like a teen could read it, no problem, but it's actually aimed at adults, and it's so, so cute and good, and I love it. It's The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clune. Awesome. So, my first pick is a YA novel, called The Degenerates by J. Albert Mann. And, oh my gosh, I really, really love this book. Um, So The Degenerates takes place in 1928 outside of Boston. And it has four different points of view because it's about these four um, young women. They're like 13, 14 years old. And they three of them live in a school and like, You know, imagine me making air quotes around the word school um, because it's really just an institution to shuffle people with physical and developmental disabilities. Um, But also because this is 1928 and people are very um, close minded. Um, What ends up happening is women who are unmarried, pregnant, um, they often end up getting shuffled to the school. And so do um, people who are discovered to be members of the LGBT community, they get sent there. And it's just a horrible, horrible um, sort of place to be living because the doctors and the nurses and the attendants um, are just very cruel and they don't treat people very well. So this um, this book, it's so I mean, it was a little bit hard for me to read at the very beginning because of just like the blatant 
ableism and the cruelty towards the uh, these poor young women who are living and have no choice but to live here and they're they're there for life like they know that they are never ever getting out um just because of the stigma um that was existing in the in that time so i actually did something that i never ever ever do I flipped to the epilogue because I had to know. I had to know that there was just like a little bit of hope at the end because I could just see how things were going to get bad for these poor young women. And I won't say what it was, but there is a little bit of hope. So I was like, oh, okay, I can keep reading. So then I went back and I and I kept reading. And it's just a really beautiful story about like found family, but also, you know, what it's like when those in power and even your own parents and family just don't think that you have worth or that you have opinions or ideas that hold weight and how like empowering it can be to find friends who have your back and support you and believe in you. Um, so this book is uh, mostly about how one of the young women, she just cannot accept that they are there for life. And so she keeps trying to figure out these escape routes and um, how she goes from, you know, wanting to just escape on her own to really finding a way to get all four of them out. Um, it's a beautiful friendship. Um, it's also a diverse um, group of girls. So I appreciated that um, the author did a really good job, I think, of showing um, the diversity of the time, just in terms of ability, race, sexuality. Um, she just did a really great job with that. Uh, I just wanted to say like one little note about language in case that is something that readers might be concerned about. Unfortunately, because it's historical, a lot of the language that was used at the time is used in this book. However, I think it's done in a really, really sensitive and sensible way. Also, in the author's note at the end of the book, um, the author says that anytime a doctor or a nurse is like addressing or are you passing judgment or saying something about the girls or the residents in general? Um, she didn't make any of that up. She took that directly from primary source documents that she uncovered in her research. So that's kind of eye opening there. Um, so if that's something that you're just concerned about, be aware. However, I think that um, the author handles it really well. And ultimately, I promise you, it is a hopeful story, but it was also just very eye opening to read about you know, how people with um, different abilities and developmental disabilities were treated. And I know we often think about eugenics being something associated with World War II and the Nazis, but it was totally a movement that the American people bought into in the early 20th century. And this is just a really great book that sheds a light on a really sort of dark and painful time in our history. And that is The Degenerates by J. Albert Mann. All right, I'm going to go in a completely different direction now. My next pick is Dragon Hoops by Gene Lewin Yang. Uh, his name might sound familiar to you. He wrote American Born Chinese, the Boxers and Saints comics. Uh, he has one coming out in May called Superman Smashes the Clan, which sounds awesome already, just from the title. Uh, he's really into working on superhero comics, and he's worked on Airbender. Um, and this is a memoir about 
a period in time for him where he felt like he was out of ideas. It was 2013, and he thought, for some reason, he couldn't think of anything, and he was never going to write another book, and what was he going to do? And at the time, he was working as a teacher at a school in Oakland called Bishop O'Dowd, and he heard something about the basketball team, like, that... You know, there were things like moving and shaking with them, heading towards the championships. And, you know, uh, Gene is not athletic at all, he says. You know, he talks about like how he didn't play sports when he was a kid. He was all about drawing and he got picked on and his nickname was Stick. And like he just he was not athletic. Um, and so he still is going to approach the, the coach of the basketball team and ask him, you know, what's the story? And the coach, Lou, he tells him, you know, they are 0 and 5. Like the team has gone to the championships. Uh, five times under his coaching and lost all five times. And so he decides he's going to write his book about this basketball team because he's like, I don't know what else to write about right now. And so he learns a lot about Lou, the coach. Uh, Lou was uh, the subject of the most controversial high school call in California high school basketball. Um, He talks to the assistant coaches. He talks to the players on the team. I mean, it's amazing. These are kids in high school with amazing abilities and some of them you know they go to school at this private school and they're playing basketball and they're getting courted by you know sponsors and you know one of them is called like the number one pick he's going to be like the number one pick out of school and then they go home and and you know there's like gun violence in their neighborhoods and you know there's there's violence at home and and things are very hard for them and so he, he talks to some of them about that he also spends a lot of time discussing the history of basketball, which, uh, if you did not know, was uh, originally two words, basketball, and an actual basket. It was like this guy at a school one day took a peach basket and hung it on the thing and said, throw things in there. And they were like, okay. Uh, and so they started calling it basketball. Um, I don't imagine, even though they say like basketball was invented like in Springfield and whatever, I don't imagine he was the first person to like put a basket up high where somebody could throw things in it. But however, he is credited with inventing basketball. Um, he also, uh, Gene uh, Lu and Yang highlights the racism and segregation uh, when basketball became popular, like the NBA. And he talks a lot about like the Harlem Globetrotters, um, who are just amazing. Like, I always forget that they exist. I don't know why. And then someone's like, Harlem Globetrotters. I'm like, oh, yeah, that one team that just does amazing moves on the floor all the time and never loses. Like, it's just for show. And it's just great. And so he, like, finds out, but he comes very, becomes very invested in this team. But now he's, like, worried because what if he doesn't get the ending that his book needs? You know, like, he's, a lot of his anxiety is hinging on the success of the team. Like they need to, he thinks that they need to win the championship in order for this to be a great story, like to have a great ending. Um, Meanwhile, like his wife uh, is telling him like, you know, there are stories everywhere, like whether you win or lose and all this stuff, but he's very invested in in, like the team all of a sudden after not having anything to do with sports. Um, And it's, it's so good. Uh, The illustrations are fantastic. Uh, He uses, this uh, one image of people taking steps as like a metaphor, like it's an important part of the process of their lives throughout the book. Um, I really like the way he draws baskets. Like when you're, he's talking about a game and you're trying to find out if like they're going to make the basket or not. He goes through like several panels before the basket lands and you get to find out. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. I'm like, I'm just looking at comics on a page that I'm already like so hooked. I'm like, come on, you can make it. I was very myself and very invested in the game. It's so fantastic. Uh, That is 
Dragon Hoops by Jean Lewin Yang. I just, I love basketball. A lot of people don't know this or like when they find out, they're like, what? But um, uh, for me, like if I need to relax, I will watch Larry Bird highlight videos on YouTube. Like that is my favorite thing to do. I stand for Larry Bird so hard. Um, and I just love everything about basketball. I don't play it myself, you know, so like reading this book was great. I'm really excited for that book. I also enjoy watching basketball. I have four brothers and they all played basketball growing up. So I definitely learned to love watching the game from a young age. So that sounds really exciting. It's really good. All right. My next pick is Mrs. Moore Goes Missing by Marilla Shimskawa. And you guys, I tried so hard to figure out how to pronounce the author's last name. That is my best guess based off of some differing YouTube videos. However, it's going to be written in the show notes. So um, I apologize for any Polish speakers out there if I completely butchered that. Um, So Mrs. Morgo's Missing is a mystery. And it is about a socialite in 1890s Krakow. And she is in her late 30s. She doesn't have any children. Her husband has just been made um, a professor of medicine at the university. And she is very, very, very proud of this fact because to her, social standing is everything. And this is like a very nice position for him and um, as a result for her as well. And she basically has like spent most of her married life like helping get her husband into this like very plum position, which is kind of hilarious because her husband doesn't really care about society at all. And like, she's the only one that really, really cares. And I think he doesn't even notice that she does all of these things. So, but now that he's been made professor, she's kind of like, okay, well, there's not really much for me to do for his career. So I guess I better do some social climbing of my own. And so she decides that she is going to, you know, rise to prominence within society due to her work in philanthropy. And the way she describes like all of the society ladies in Krakow and their like fierce competitive nature when it comes to philanthropy is just hysterically funny. So she decides that she needs a new angle and she's going to host a raffle. But in order to do so, she needs some help from um, this uh, home retirement home for elderly people. And so it's run by the nuns and it has um, elderly people who are wealthy and those who are not so wealthy. And she needs some help from some of the residents there. So she starts hanging around and sort of insinuating herself in life there. And as it so happens, one of the wealthy older residents, Mrs. Moore, goes missing. And instantly, Zofia is intrigued, and she begins looking into this mystery, and she begins asking questions. She's very much a, uh, you know, a sleuth that is not, has no formal training, but she has a lot of really good instincts. And as she starts asking questions, they uncover Mrs. Moore's body, and she deduces that Mrs. Moore was murdered. And so this book is just really entertaining because it's got this very dry and sly sense of humor. Um, you know, 
Zafia is not exactly like the most likable character, but that's okay. I feel like I really enjoyed reading about her anyway, because throughout the course of this novel, she really does have to face some of her snobbish ways. And she is also not afraid to get her hands a little dirty to solve this mystery. And so what she ends up discovering is that this woman's um, disappearance and her death is a result of some really interesting sort of darker history in the Austro-Hungarian Empire's past. So it was just a really, really funny mystery with uh, a lot of really good moments and um, a lot of really interesting history about Krakow. I'd never really read much of anything set in this um, area or this time period. And okay, author, note about the author. So this is actually a pseudonym for a um, gay couple who, like, they're very open about um, how they are gay and they work together and they write this book, um, which is pretty awesome because they're Polish and um, the state of LGBTQ rights in Poland right now is not the greatest. So, but they're very open and you can read a lot of news articles about them. And it's just really great the way they talk about their process writing this book. So the authors include a historical note at the very beginning of the book, which is very, very helpful for anybody who doesn't know a lot about Polish history to kind of just situate yourself in the story. And I think that Beyond that, though, you get so much interesting history and culture of the time. I I found that this book was not like very super easy breezy, at least for the first 50 pages, because it does kind of take a moment for your your mind to shift and sort of acclimate because you are getting so much information. Um, but the result is just this really vivid and interesting um, world that is really steeped in history. And it's a really great mystery. It's not too you know, graphic. There's not really any blood or gore or violence. So it's more on the cozy spectrum. And it has a very Agatha Christie-like feel because, you know, at the very end, um, Zofia assembles all of the players and she walks her way through the crime and she solves it. And it's very, very intelligent. Um, so I just think that this is a really great book. It's the first in a series. So apparently the second book is in the process of being translated into English. Um, the English translator is Antonia Lloyd-Jones. I think she did a great job. And the authors are also working on a third book. So hopefully those um, books make their way over to the U.S. And again, that is Mrs. Moore Goes Missing. When I first heard about this book, I was so excited to read it. I was like, I'm going to put it down for the podcast and then I'll have a reason to read it. And I logged into our document and you had already claimed it. I was like, how did you how, how did you already know about this? Oh, I mean, I totally could have read it on my own before then but i was like no i'm not going to um, but i was waiting to see what you thought and i know i asked you like a few weeks ago or a couple weeks ago and you're like yes it's great so i can't wait to read it i'm very excited it's really fun yeah so before i tell you about my next book we're gonna hear from our second sponsor okay so historical fiction lovers put your ears closer to the speakers because this book I'm going to talk about now is fantastic. I believe I talked about it on the preview show. It is called Beheld. It is by Tara Shea Nesbitt. And it is a novel of the first murder at the Plymouth Colony in 1630 told by the women who lived there. Um, turns out there is so much I don't know about the Plymouth Landing. 
Like, at all. Basically nothing, except that it was a rock, and now the rock is very small because everybody touched it. That's pretty much my extent of what I know about Plymouth. Uh, uh, for instance, I thought it was like, the Puritans left London. They left England because they were like, we've had it with you. We're going to go be Puritans somewhere else. But actually, not everyone who came over on the Mayflower was a Puritan. There were people of varying social statuses, uh, varying religions, uh, and there were also indentured servants, which I did not know. Uh, they signed away... Uh, certain so many years of their lives working for other people who were going to be on the Mayflower uh, in order for a place for to get a place on the ship. Uh, and so now at the beginning of the book, it is 10 years after they landed at Plymouth. It is 1630. William Bradford is the governor. Miles Standish is his heavy. Uh, the governor's first wife died on the ship on the way over. He is now remarried to a woman named Alice who narrates the majority of the book. Um, there is also John Billington, who came over on the Mayflower. His family were, they were indentured servants for the Bradford family for the first seven years that they were uh, in Plymouth. And they are pretty miffed about how everything turned out. Uh, apparently, they were told that they were going to Virginia, not Massachusetts. So they were not expecting that. Um, when they arrived, William Bradford, like before he even like checked everything out, wrote back to his investors and to the people in London saying like, it's so amazing here. There's so many fish in the water and there's so much food. And we've got like 80 million beavers for, you know, we take their pelts and make clothes and blankets and it's all so great. Meanwhile, it's not like it's cold and they don't have a lot of food. And the native people who are there uh, are helping them out, you know, and then, of course, the Plymouth people are totally jerks to them. And it's not great. And so John Billington writes to the investors, uh, William Bradford's investors, and says, hey, everything here is terrible and we hate it. More people died on the ship than actually made it over. So many people here are sick. Uh, and it's it's just not great for us. And so now William Bradford is really mad because he finds out that John Billington has done this. Um, and now John Billington's wife, Eleanor, uh, is the other narrator of this book. She has been treated badly by the Bradfords. Um, you know, she also resents that they are there in Plymouth in this cold, hard place that they were not expecting to land. Um, and how even though she has not been their servants for three years, they still treat her horribly and turn their noses up at her. And they're still trying to, like, boss her around. Uh, so at, at the beginning of this book, a ship arrives. And as Joe Strummer says, someone got murdered. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who or who the murderer is. It's so, like, if you read the reviews of this, it gives everything away. Um, and it's like, this is an actual historical fact. So it's not, like, I'm not spoiling a novel. I'm actually trying not to spoil actual history for you. Um, but not everyone knows the story. So if you don't. Um, but... The great part about this book is that it's told by the women. Like, the women get to tell the story how it really is. Um, you know, there's only four of them now at this point. Like, only four women have survived. Uh, you know, it's basically like a fact that everyone has lost, you know, spouses or children. You know, all the women have lost children to the cold, to diseases, to all this stuff. And it's just, it's just really interesting, especially now, like, listening to the people talk about things about... Um, Oh, there are mosquitoes, and they didn't have mosquitoes in England, and they 
weren't aware of them and now they're mosquitoes and they're horrible and you know the puritans are saying uh you know if the mosquitoes are bothering you then god didn't want you to come over on the ship uh if the you know cold is bothering you then obviously god didn't want like everything is about god and so they're saying like if the mosquitoes bite you like just let it be meanwhile mosquitoes carry diseases as we all know and you know terrible things are happening but they're just like oh well if you know i get this disease from this mosquito God must not have wanted me to come over on the ship. And it's just, it's amazing, like, some of the stuff that happens. And it's just, like, written off as, like, well, this was not in God's plan. Um, and so, you know, knowing as much as we do now about science and just, like, basically existing in the world. So this novel is fantastic. It is called Beheld, and it is by Tara Shea Nesbitt. All right. So my next pick is a children's book, and it is called Stand Up Yumi Chung by Jessica Kim. And I was really fortunate to get an advanced um, audiobook copy of this book. It was so much fun to listen to, um, and I was grinning the entire time. So it's about this uh, middle schooler named Yumi Chung. Uh, she's Korean-American, and she lives in California, and her parents own a Korean barbecue restaurant, which is you know, she thinks it's pretty cool. She loves the restaurant, but she hates her school and she hates how all of her peers call her you meat because she always smells like barbecue and she is, you know, just bullied quite a bit. Not not horrifically, but she she gets a, a fair amount and she just can't stand it. And there are a lot of things that she doesn't like about herself because she gets bullied for them and how she deals with it is she works on comedy um, sets and she really, really wants to be a stand-up comedian. And she has this um, comedian that she idolizes because she watches her videos on YouTube and she thinks that this would just be like a great way for her to kind of blow off steam and stress and also entertain people. However, her parents are pretty traditional and they think that comedy is not really a worthwhile pursuit. They really want her to do well academically. Um, which is also hard for Yumi because her older sister is this kind of um, girl genius who is like the youngest medical school student um, to ever be admitted to UCLA. And um, Yumi's just like, how can I compete with that? So this book takes place in summer when um, Yumi finds out that in order to keep going to this like very prestigious middle school that will prepare her academically, um, she has to take a test and she has to get a certain score on this test in order to get a scholarship because her parents can no longer afford the tuition. Um, gentrification has come to their neighborhood, so it's made their, uh, their restaurant very difficult to kind of keep going and fighting. And Yumi does not want to go to this um, this school anymore. She thinks that this would be a perfect opportunity for her to transfer to a school where she feels more comfortable, but her parents were like, no, this is what you have to do. So through a strange sort of um, series of events, Yumi finds herself actually assuming um, another middle schooler's identity and starting 
taking these stand-up comedy classes at her local comedy club. Um, and it's a sort of a funny situation that she just sort of falls into. Um, but she doesn't want to tell the truth because she absolutely loves the lessons that she is learning and she loves her new friends. And she sort of feels like a different person because when she's at these, um, these classes, she's not Yumi. She's this other girl and she can imagine that this other girl is confident and funny. And so she really starts to come out of her shell. But, of course, it's not to last. Um, she gets found out, and what's even worse is her parents find out. So I'm not going to spoil the rest. Uh, I'll let you read it and figure out what happens. It's very, very charming. It's really funny, too. Uh, and I thought that the narration was just really fantastic. And so if you get a chance to listen to it on audio, I highly recommend it. But if you're looking for just a really funny, genuine uh, middle grade novel, Stand Up Yumi Chung by Jessica Kim is a great one. Okay. My last pick today. Um, I think I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to preface my next pick by saying the publication dates of books change all the time now like it didn't used to happen like this like every once in a while they'd be like oh we're pushing this title or whatever but now it's all the time like when i go through my list every week to put in the show notes there's like three or four titles that have been moved so i'm telling you this because my next pick is uma's table by yon sikong and it was supposed to come out today and now it is coming out next week and i did not have time to read another book so it's wonderful i'm gonna tell you about it you have to wait seven more days i'm very sorry uh, it's worth it this is a graphic memoir uh, just like dragon hoops apparently that was my thing today um but this one is geared more towards adults whereas dragon hoops is like teens and up and it's about uh yun sik hong's life as an adult he's married he has a baby he lives in south korea and he's worried about his elderly parents uh they are sick uh, they've been sickly for quite a long time. His father abuses alcohol and has for quite some time. Uh, they are forced to live in a basement apartment, which is for people who do not have much money and they have no windows and it's not very clean down there. And so not only are they sick, but like they're stuck down there. And Yansik makes uh, trips to go see them and he takes his mom to appointments uh, because she's in and out of the hospital and... Um, they're only, like, in their 60s now, um, but uh, he's had a contentious relationship with his father for quite some time since his father has been drinking. Um, he's pretty ticked off at him all the time, and he actually at one point tells his mother, you know, like, when she dies, because she's always saying, like, I'm going to die soon. She says, you know, like, when you're gone, you know, I'm going to wash my hands of him. Like, he's on his own. Like, he has to take care of himself. Uh, and so we also see, like, when... Uh, Yonsuk was young and his parents moved around a lot and they got this house that like had a beautiful garden, not a lot of insulation. Um, I'll tell you right now that mice do not fare very well in this book. Uh, there are a lot of mice infestations and a lot of mice removal. Um, but the house that he had when they were young, it had this beautiful garden and his mom made kimchi all the time. And he remembers this as like the happy times in his life. And like he had a brother and they, you know, would make kimchi and eat kimchi with their mom. And so now Yonsik, part of his goal is to get all of the amazing kimchi recipes from his mother and learn how to make them before she is gone. So like it kind of brings them together as a family and they do this like, you know, now he has a wife and a baby and they spend time with them. Um, so it's like, you know, he's thinking about his place in the world too and like what kind of legacy he's going to leave for his children and, you know, on top of like what he's going to do 
uh, with his father. It's a lot about, you know, aging parents, like how difficult it is and, you know, how much do you owe them. And for some reason, they are all drawn as cats. I think they're cats. Occasionally, I thought they were bears, but all of the the people in this book are drawn as cats. Um, And like I said, mice they don't they don't turn out so well in this book but um it's it was really really good and it was really interesting to read uh it's called Uma's Table and it is out from John and Quarterly which is an amazing publisher of comics and graphic novels you should check them out uh and it is by Yan Sik Hong all right so my final pick is The Mountain Sing by Nguyen Phan K Mai and it is a really, really beautiful book about a young woman and her grandmother during the Vietnam War. So it's been getting a lot of comparisons to Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, which I really loved. And I definitely can see the, the parallels here. So um, this book is about a young woman named Juan. And at the start of the Vietnam War, she is living in Hanoi. And her uncles and her father and her mother have all gone off to war. So she is left um, in the care of her grandmother, who is a teacher. And she and her grandmother have a very, very close bond in part because they're going through this just like very traumatizing and horrific experience of surviving war. So the book starts with... um Juan and her grandmother having to leave the city because the American bombers are coming and they um, hide in a shelter and everything is just destroyed. So they have to leave for a little while and eventually they do come back and they try to rebuild their lives, but like their home is destroyed. They have to live in a shack. There's no food. There's no clean water. It's just really, really heartbreaking. But Juan's pretty lucky because her grandmother is very resilient. So interspersed between Juan's chapters, you get these um, really moving chapters from her grandmother's point of view and from when she was growing up during World War II and um, when she was surviving the Great Hunger. And those chapters are written as if they are being told to Juan in first person. And so she's telling her granddaughter her life story as they are trying to survive this new horror. And eventually her grandmother, who has this really good knack for survival, decides that she's not going to be complicit with um, the party rules and what the government says. And she quits her job as a teacher because she can't stomach um, teaching children um, propaganda, basically. And she starts working on the black market, actually. And she's very successful at it. You know, she's able to get food for her family. She's able to rebuild the house um, that they lost. And she is able to kind of help out the community. Although not a lot of people want to have much to do with her because um, she is essentially a traitor in their mind because, uh, you know, she's basically giving into capitalism by working on the black market. And a lot of people associate that with Americans. Uh, So Juana is pretty lucky because she has this grandmother that cares for her, but also she 
faces a lot of censure in her community because of this, um, because people see her grandmother as a traitor. And it's as, you know, she's growing up and she's a teenager at this point, um, she begins to realize the realities of the horror of this war because um, her uncle dies, her mother comes back, and her mother is not the same person that left. She's really unable to keep caring for Juan. And uh, she's slowly starting to reckon with the effects, the devastating effects of war. Um, So I won't tell you much more about that book because I don't want to give away too much. This is definitely a book that you want to savor and experience. One thing that really sticks out to me here is the preoccupation with food And I think that's in part because we're getting Juan's grandmother's side of things where, you know, she grew up during a famine where there was just no food. Later on, she's very focused on putting food on the table. But also just the description of food in this book is so mouthwatering and also um, just very, very um, lush and evocative. And I found myself getting a little bit hungry as I was listening to the audiobook. And I was very, very impressed by that aspect. Um, so I definitely think if you are looking for another book that is similar to Pachinko, um, if you want something that's, you know, set outside of the U.S., I have to admit that I've, I've read a fair number of books by Vietnamese American authors that deal with the Vietnam War. However, not a lot of them are mostly set in Vietnam. A lot of them are about like immigrating to the US. And, and so it's really great to read this book that is very much, you know, firmly entrenched in Vietnam and the culture and the food. Um, I felt like as a white American, I learned a lot while reading this book, but it's also just very beautifully written. So that is The Mountain Sing by Nguyen Phan Khe Mai. Okay. Those are our new books. Quite a selection. What are you going to read next? I am going to read Dark and Deepest Red by Anna Marie McClemmer. I love everything that they put out, and I have not read the newest one, which is a little unusual for me. Even though it's only been out for a couple of months, I usually am, like, right on top of those new releases. Um, But I finally got it in at the library, and I'm about three or four chapters in, and I'm really enjoying it so far. All right. I'm going to read Action Park, Fast Times, Wild Rides, and the Untold Story of America's Most Dangerous Amusement Park by Andy... Mulvahill and Jake Rossin, uh, which is about a park in New Jersey in the 1980s and 90s that was called Action Park, but also known as Accident Park, Class Action Park, or Traction Park, because it was so dangerous and sometimes there were fatalities. And the author, uh, Andy Mulvahill, is actually the son of the man who owned the park. So I'm excited to read that. Uh, I, myself, uh, hate going to amusement parks. I don't like rides at all, which is funny because I literally grew up across the street from York's Wild Kingdom. Many of you have probably heard of it or even actually been there. Um, And now as an adult, I realized how strange it was to hear lions roaring at five and six in the morning growing up in Maine, but that was my like singular cool experience with the park, but mostly it was just a lot of traffic and it was super expensive, so we couldn't afford to go there anyway. 
let's just like basketball. I like watching other people do it. I want to hear about other people on roller coasters. I do not want to be that person myself. And so that is all for today. Thank you to our sponsors. Uh, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Let me know if you've gone to York's Wild Kingdom. Uh, you can find us online. Tirza hangs out on Twitter. It's Tirza Price. It's T I R Z A H P R I C E. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. Uh, and if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com com slash all the books as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter and in the meantime happy reading happy reading happy reading